We started a two-part series. Um, last week, we were in a different, a different year, weren't we? We were in 2023 last Sunday, and now we're in 2024. We've jumped a whole year, and that's why we're so tired this week. We jumped a whole year. <clears throat> and so we decided to do a two-part series, excuse me, and a passage, I, I sort of picked a passage, or the Holy Spirit did, that helps us sort of end an old year and begin a new year. And so we call this series Onward, and we're going to look at part two today. It's of the very same passage. It's going to be in Philippians chapter three. If you have your Bibles, you can make your way over there. Philippians chapter three. We also have Bibles back on the bookshelf for you if you don't have one. <laughs> you could take those home if you need it. Onward, part two from Philippians chapter three, verses 12 to 16. But before we get there, of course, do you make any resolutions for the new year? I think I asked this last week and no one said they do. So I don't know why I would expect anything different. Does anyone make any resolutions for the new year? Any? Janice? Okay. We have a couple. Oh, she's going to share them. Yeah. Go right ahead. I made that. I keep my faith in the Lord and I believe in Jesus and God. Amen. That's what I want and I don't need nothing else. Wow. I did not plan that. Well, I can't compete with that with my list, Janice. I have a list of, of 10 resolutions. That, these are jokes. These are meant for humor. But thank you, Janice. Thank you for sharing that. That's a wonderful resolution. And we will get to something very similar to that very quickly. But I'm going to share with you 10 resolutions that I have for the new year. It's a new year, and we have a fresh start. And I've been here a little over a year, and so I have some resolutions. <coughs> Excuse me. Some things that I want to accomplish in the new year. Let's start very simple. Number one, I want to be mistaken for a lumberjack. <laughs> I don't know what that means, if I need a bigger beard or bigger muscle or need to carry an axe around. But I want someone to run into me one day and go, a lumberjack? You must be a lumberjack. And for me to go, no, actually, I'm just a pastor, but thank you. Hey, thank you. How about number two resolution is I want to be able to make a remark one day about a North Country winter storm. Unlike the one we had today, I want to be able to say something like, wow, these people weren't kidding. This is crazy. Now I realize what true winter is. I'm ashamed that I ever thought what snow actually was. Kudos, North Country. Kudos. I want to be able to say that at one point this year. So that's a resolution that I have. So we're going to need a lot of snow, aren't we, for that to happen. Number three resolution is I want to be able to walk into Walmart for three items. Know exactly where those three items are. Get only those three items and leave the store without any bruises or shame with a little bit of the day left over. I really do. Instead of what I typically do is I go in there for eight hours. I come in with stuff I never wanted. I don't find any of the stuff I did want. And I feel like I'm in a dream and a maze that I can't get out of. How about number four resolution for the new year? I never want to smell an onion for a whole year. Maybe that's a lofty bar, but I don't like onions. I never want to smell an onion. J JP, I know you like onions. <laughs> we can never go out to lunch. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. Um, I'm just teasing. Number five is I want to be able to call all my kids their correct names the first time. I have eight kids, and uh, maybe you guys struggle with your kids too, but this is a, this is a regular pattern. Is we have to go like through the whole Rolodex of names before we get to the right one. And it doesn't matter if they're boy or girl. We will call our girl boy names and boys girl names. I don't know what that is, but I'd love to be able to do that the first time. Number six is I want to be able to remember all of my stuff in the morning when I go to work without having to walk back into the house in shame and ask my wife to retrieve my wallet or my bag 
or my keys, which I had to do today, or my coffee, or my shoes, <laughs> or my coat, or my phone, or my pants. <laughs> Number seven, I want to be able to remember to turn off my microphone every Sunday when I worship because I think I'm driving away the online audience and I don't want to do that anymore. So if the tech booth can help me with that is I want to mute myself every single week because I'm not a great singer. Uh, number eight is I finally want to answer one of those phone calls that I get that says potential spam and actually renew my car warranty <laughs> for my 2012 Honda Pilot, Honda Pilot so that I could finally sleep at night because I'm getting a lot of those calls and these people are very persistent that my car needs a new warranty. So I want to take care of that this new year. Number nine is I want to be able to match my tie to my shirt like a big boy. <laughs> now today I did, so maybe I've crossed that one already. I matched this shirt to my tie, I went down, because I always do, I always go down to Janine and she, she makes sure yay or nay, and I'm, I'm less than half usually. <laughs> but so the new year I want to be able to cover that. And number 10, resolution for the new year's, I want to be able to see a moose with Janine on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Just sounds incredibly romantic to see a moose on Valentine's Day. We also have a, have a goal, a resolution for our church. We want to be able to bust out of this little church building, right? In the new year, because we're reaching so many new souls for Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give us that resolution this year. So, Lord willing, if God would help us, we can meet that resolution. But today, we're going to look at something a little bit similar to that. It's Onward Part 2 from Philippians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles there, this is the passage we're going to read, verses 12 to 16. Hear the Word of God. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. <laughs> Excuse me. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That's our passage today. Our three-point outline, if you got the notes, is number one, a unique strategy. Number two, a profound call. And number three, a humble reminder. Let's start with our unique strategy, because Paul is going to give us a very unique strategy, something that I wouldn't have thought of to help us follow our Lord Jesus Christ better this year than maybe we have up to this point. But before we get there, remember the old classic game Monopoly? Who still plays Monopoly on a somewhat regular basis, once or twice a year at least? Yeah? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> we try. We try. We still like the game Monopoly. It's one of those, you know, I think it's probably the most famous board game of all time. It probably is. Uh, Monopoly is one of those games. It's a great game. Usually it takes a few hours to play Monopoly if you're doing it the right way. But I've noticed when you play Monopoly, there's several strategies you can take, right? Now, there's the kind of person that can go around and buy everything they land on. Who's that person? I don't care what I land on, it's mine. I will buy it. All the utilities. I'll buy them all. I will be, I will be broke <coughs> by the next time I make it around the board. That's a strategy. I don't know if it's a good strategy, but it's an A strategy. Uh, also, the same people who try to get a monopoly as fast as they possibly can. They're trading, they're dealing, they're moving things around. Uh, another strategy is to be very conservative, right? Buy only the properties that you want. Take your time. Think through everything. Don't make quick trades. 
That was my dad. He needed six hours to beat Monopoly. <laughs> my dad was a very conservative Monopoly player. And there's another strategy that sometimes I like to employ. It is sit by the money. <laughs> Be the banker. And I'm not, I'm not really saying much there, but you know my strategy. Suddenly I will, I will be doing a little bit better than I normally would have. There's some strategies when you have to play a game like Monopoly. There's also strategies in life. And if you're a parent, you understand what I'm talking about, right? <coughs> there are strategies to being a parent. And if you have children like I do, eight children, eight young children, we have to employ some strategies in our household to make it all tick and all work properly. And because I'd like to be transparent with you people, I'm going to give you a couple strategies that help us function as parents of eight young children. Can I do that today? Well, I'm going to give you both of them. Number one is bribes. Number two is fear. They bribe us and they terrify us. And it's just true. And so they get whatever they want. No, that's, a, that's not true. But sometimes... When you have a family such as ours, you have to have some strategies. You have to have some philosophies that help you function. Paul's going to give us something as Christ followers. That's a strategy. And in order to set this up, we need to sort of peek back at our last lesson from last week. Where Paul told us this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So last week, we, we employed a, a, a metaphor of climbing a very steep mountain, much like Mount Everest. In the Christian life, of course, we know about salvation. We must trust in Jesus Christ. We just celebrated that with communion. In order to find forgiveness from our sins, cleansing, restoration with God, we find that simply by believing in Jesus, by turning away from the lifestyle we used to have, and by setting our eyes on Jesus Christ and saying, you, you alone are the Savior. As soon as you do that, and a child can do this, someone on their deathbed can do this, they are saved, aren't they? They find restoration with God, healing with God. But what's also true, is, and if you notice this in Scripture, it's all over, is that he calls us to do something quite difficult. And we talked about this for a couple weeks now. It is to climb, not literally, but to climb spiritually a hill in a big term called sanctification. But I'm just going to use this phrase to help us understand what that means. Christ-likeness. Every single Christian is not only forgiven, not only restored with God, not only given an inheritance and hope beyond the grave, but they are also given a call to become like Jesus in thought, in speech, in action. And that is a very steep climb, is it not? When we are given that call, it's almost overwhelming to even hear that. How can I become like Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And so Paul is bringing this up. He is saying to us, if we peek back here, he says, not that I have already obtained this. Paul is not saying, I'm telling you from the top of the mountain what this is like and how you should do this. Paul is saying, I'm not there yet. At this point in his life, in his spiritual journey, Paul had not arrived at the top of that mountain. He was not fully like Christ, fully sanctified. And he wants his readers to know that. I haven't reached the top. I want you to know that from your pastor. I, too, have not reached the top. I'm still progressing my way up this hill called sanctification every week, every day, every year of my life, Lord willing. 
And Paul wants us to know that he is still making that, that journey upward. But he also wants to be clear that there is a journey. And last week we talked about this idea, this concept of how we can set that mentality in our mind. And the conclusion we came to is that Jesus is worthy of this climb. He's worthy. Yeah, it's hard. It's costly. It's going to require things of you that you didn't even know you had to give. But as we make this journey up towards sanctification and full likeness to Jesus Christ, something profound takes place. We start to shed those old practices, don't we? Selfishness and greed and lust and hatred and all of these evil things that we used to think were not that big a deal and now we're going, oh man, they're a huge deal. And I can't be like that anymore if I'm going to be like Jesus Christ, if I'm going to follow my God and worship him the way that he deserves. So we start to shed these old practices and we start to put on new practices. Love and godliness and holiness, righteousness, things that please God. And the way that we do that is simply by looking to Jesus, by listening to his words, by understanding what he's taught us to do and following that exact model. But the motivation that gets us up that hill is Jesus. So that we can be worthy, a worthy bride to him someday. When Jesus calls us home and we stand before him prepared to meet our bridegroom, Jesus. We've thought about him. We've followed him. We've become like him. We are ready to meet him. Now we still, of course, every step of the journey are going to need his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. But this climb that God gives us is something that is a true gift from God to us that we could become like our Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, Paul says, listen, I have not already obtained this. I am not already perfect. But you notice what I do? I press on to make it my own. I press on to become like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why do you do that, Paul? Well, it's very simple. Because Christ Jesus once made me his own. I heard a pastor say this once, that um, nothing in this life belongs to us. Everything's on loan. Everything, including our children, our families, our homes, our jobs, our talents, everything is given to us by God on loan. There's nothing that we own except one person. Jesus is ours and ours. We can claim that he is. And he is ours and we are his. We belong to him and he belongs to us. And Paul is bringing that up right here. I press on to make this my own, to become like him, because once Jesus made me his own. Remember the song from your Sunday school days? Remember this? We used to sing this. It's a, still a beautiful song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Finish it. For the Bible tells me so. But as we just celebrate in communion, there's something else that tells us so, isn't there? The cross tells us so. How do we know that Jesus loves us? Because he came down to this earth, a place that was full of sin and full of selfishness and full of darkness and full of greed. And he took our sins upon himself and he died on a cross so that we could have eternal life. So that we could be restored with God and so that we could have a relationship with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And so Paul followed Jesus Christ for the remainder of his life. He did exactly what Jesus told us to do in Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If that is your desire, is to be known by Christ 
and to be restored with God, then Jesus is going to give every single one of us a call. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But Paul's bringing that up as if to say, listen, I'm going to do this for him because he once did it for me. Why are you going up that mountain, Paul? Because Jesus once went up a mountain with his cross for me. And therefore, it's my privilege and my glory and my honor to do that for him. And I think that's a really powerful thing to know. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now there's the strategy that Paul's going to give us. Even though I haven't yet arrived, even though I have not yet made it to the top of this mountain, I'm going to tell you the strategy that I use, the effective strategy that I got from God, and it's twofold. One thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Okay, I forget. Talk about that. I forget what is behind. And number two, I strain to what's ahead. It's a pretty simple strategy, twofold. We can understand that. But let's flush these out a little bit so we understand exactly what he's talking about. 2024 is upon us, right? And I'll tell you something even simple but profound that we need to remember is none of us can change 2023 now, can we? Not a one of us can change an ounce of 2023. 2023 is now in the books. Whatever 2023 was, it is for the remainder of eternity. None of us can go back to 2023 and modify it or change it at all. So we shouldn't. We shouldn't even try. That's a silly notion. But something we can do, and then maybe that's where the idea of resolutions came up, is we can pave a path forward that is different than 2023. If we deserve or if we expect something to be different, we have that opportunity right now is to look into the future and say, I want today and tomorrow and the remainder of this year to be different than 2023 was. And we're starting to employ the strategy that Paul gave us already. Now, I don't know if you can read that little meme up there, <coughs> but I've noticed, and I think I got this way when I got into my 40s, uh, this little meme says, I've officially entered, why did I come into this room phase of my life? Anyone else? Um, you walk into a room with some task, and you get to that room and you have no idea why you're there. Well, the other day I had something even worse take place. I went into a room, forgot why I was there, and forgot how to get back. And that was a really bad day. And forgetfulness is not something we like, right? It's not something we look forward to. In fact, it seems like a red flag of getting old. Can it actually be a good thing to forget? To use that as a strategy to go forward and to pave a new pathway for Jesus Christ in the new year? Well, Paul seems to say that it is. He's going to focus us upon the future and remind us that there's nothing we can do to change the past. The past is the past. All we can do now is live for the present and the future, and that is a bold and divine opportunity we have. Therefore, we should focus all of our attention on that. And we should forget, in a sense, the past. Forget what happened in the past. What exactly does Paul mean by that? Well, I decide to ask that question to Paul. If I could interview Paul today, and I can't, but I decided to sort of think about myself in Paul's shoes, what Paul would say to this answer if I asked him, Paul, what are you talking about? What are we forgetting, Paul? What do you forget, Paul? And I thought about a bunch of things that possibly we could focus on that we shouldn't focus on, and we should instead forget <coughs> and go forward. In. Number one is failures and successes. Right? Do we all have them? Every single one of us have failures and successes in 2023. 
We could remind ourselves of those. We could dwell upon those, or we could forget them. Hurts and pains. If I went through the entire room here today, every single person would have hurts and pains in 2023. We could dwell upon those hurts and pains, or we could forget and move forward. Number three are wrongs and rights. We did some things right in 2023. We did a bunch of things wrong in 2023. We could focus on those, but we shouldn't. Number four, grudges and wounds. Things that people have done to hurt us. Every single one of us would have those things. We went around the room saying, this person did this to me and it wasn't right. It hurt me. How about this one? Compliments and disparaging remarks. Sometimes you get both. Sometimes in the same day you get both. Someone will compliment you and say, good job. I respect what you're doing. In the same day, you'll get someone who doesn't like how you're acting, doesn't like how you're functioning. So should we focus on those or forget those? How about this one? Losses and gains. We've all lost. We've all suffered loss. We've all gained things. Maybe some stuff by the belt. And uh, we want to shed a few pounds. But we've all had losses and gains in 2023. We've all had victories and sins. And Paul is telling us today that his strategy for going forward and doing what he needs to do in order to follow Jesus is to forget. What do you think the enemy wants us to do? Remember and dwell upon. Why? What don't we look forward to then? Today. Tomorrow. Our goals. Our commandments to follow Jesus Christ. If we remember and dwell upon all the things that we have done, whether good or bad, we don't focus upon where we're going. We don't focus on what we still need to do. And that's a bad strategy. And I know some of you are hikers. Some of you have climbed mountains and things like that. I would, I would assume that's a bad strategy, right? To always have your head looking the other way down from where you came instead of where you're headed, right? You're all kind of nodding, saying, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Because that, that's going to be a, a danger to you if you're trying to climb upward. And we are all trying to climb upward. In fact, God gave us this tremendous blessing in his word so that we can all take this strategy every single day of our lives. He says in Lamentations 3, 22-23, God's mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Do you notice that? Every single morning you wake up, there is fresh, brand new mercy waiting for you to use. Why? Why would God do it that way? Because he wants us to go forward. He wants us to go forward, so he's built us into the system that every day we wake up, we could find forgiveness, mercy, restoration, and cleansing so that we can get back up and make another leg in the race. And I think that's a powerful, profound thing to know, that although the enemy wants to focus us on our past mistakes and failures and successes and get us to think about all the things that we have done, the Lord says, no, 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 no. I need you to keep ascending up the mountain. And therefore, I'm going to give you fresh mercy every morning so that you could take that mercy and keep, keep climbing. So we need to forget. And it doesn't literally mean like forget, like act like it never happened. It means don't dwell upon it. Don't actively remember. Don't take time to consider all of the past failures and victories. Again, sometimes we can't help ourselves. They pop up in our mind. A memory brings them up. Someone we walk into, run into in the store. Sometimes we, just a memory. 
comes into our mind and there's nothing we can do upon it. But we do have a choice upon dwelling upon that or actively handing it over to the Lord and saying, Lord, what's past is past. And I need your mercy to keep going. So Paul says, number one, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. But he also does something else profound. He says, I strain forward to what lies ahead. It's not just forgetting. That's not enough, is it? To just forget and say, you know what? Whatever happened, happened. I'm just going to sit here and, think of, and not think about it. That's not good enough. We need to fill our minds with forward-thinking things. Things that enable us to climb and ascend to further Christ-likeness. So Paul says, I actually strain forward to what lies ahead. Now, every kid did this to their parents growing up, right? On a ro long road trip, every single kid I think ever said, Mom, Dad, are we there yet? You know, it's been 20 minutes. And it's an eight-hour journey. Are we there yet? And the parents are like, are you kidding me? We just started this thing. Um, but it often feels that way in the Christian life, doesn't it? Going, man, I've climbed a lot. I mean, I, I've been in this thing a long time. This thing is hard. It's lonely. It's costly. There's not a lot of friends. There's not a lot of fleshly happiness. Are we there yet? Have we climbed enough yet, God? Have we arrived to where we need to go? Again, I brought up hiking as an analogy for straining forward. Again, I'm not an avid hiker, so I cannot, I cannot effectively know this, but I'm going to, to assume that when you're hiking, you have to take steps forward that sometimes are uncomfortable, right? Even though the pain is there, even though the fatigue is there, you can't look back. You can't just say, listen, if my goal is to reach the top of this hike, you can't say midway through the hike, that's plenty of climbing. Now you can, technically. You can go back to your car and write it off for another day. But you haven't accomplished your goal then, have you? If your goal is to get to the top and see the, the view and the overhang, you can't along the way say, I've done enough climbing. You also can't say, listen, the next steps forward are too painful to take. So I'm just going to stop and sit here where I am and be done. Every single person who has to go up has to strain a little bit forward when the pain and the discomfort and the fatigue is upon you. And that's why I think most of you have hiked to the top of really tall mountains. You've had some endurance. When the shin splints were there, when the fatigue was there, when you're feeling cramps in your belly, you kept moving forward. You kept straining forward to what lies ahead because you knew that the goal was worth it. Or maybe the view was worth it. Or maybe the shame of not doing it was worth it. So you kept climbing. You kept straining forward to what lies ahead. In Matthew 24, Jesus sort of took this strategy before Paul did. And he reminds us, this is towards the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Verse, uh, chapter 24, verses 12 and 13, he says, And because lawlessness will abound, and I, he's talking about now. He's talking about the day and the culture that we live in. Because lawlessness will abound, and does it abound in our culture? In this world that we live in, does lawlessness abound? Yes, it does. Jesus was a prophet that way, and he said, listen, lawlessness is going to increase, it's going to abound, and because of that, something really sad is going to take place. The love of many will grow cold. The desire for sin is going to increase. The desire for perversion is going to get stronger. And because of that, those who once you thought were Christians and godly and ascending the hill with you, they'll evaporate. They'll leave. They'll no longer be on the mountain with you. According to Jesus' own words. 
because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. He is not talking about the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ and find forgiveness of your sins. That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about the culmination of your salvation when you stand before God in the kingdom of heaven and the doors fling open for you. Only those who continue to ascend have that confidence that they will see their Lord and they will be given entrance into the kingdom of God. And God has built it that way so that we keep climbing. If he encouraged us to say, hey, listen, you're fine where you are. You've climbed enough. I know it hurts. That's plenty. In fact, you custom make this thing. You climb as much as you want and wherever you think you're done, you're done. Would we reach sanctification? Any of us? Would any single person in the, in the earth be sanctified and fully like Jesus Christ? And the answer is no, it's too hard. So God sometimes has to motivate us up the mountain by saying, listen, the only way is to keep climbing. Now you could look at this two different ways and say, hey, every Christian will endure. And that's correct. I really believe every true Christian is going to endure up that mountain. But you could also say it this way, because God does. Every Christian must endure up that mountain. Every Christian must continue to climb up that hill in order to be validated that they belong to Jesus Christ. No one who really belongs to Jesus Christ is going to say, that's enough climbing. I'm done. Because if, if it's out, it's possible, we'd all take that out, wouldn't we? Every single one of us right now would say, I'm done. Climbed enough, it hurts enough. And yet God says, listen, I know it hurts. I hurt when I was on this mountain. But I need you to understand something today. The top is going to be worth it. The top is going to be worth it. The view is going to be worth it. The glory at the top is going to be worth it. So I'm not going to coddle you on the mountain. I'm going to encourage you to climb and therefore forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. That is a unique strategy. Let's now look at a profound call. Now, this is me. Um, a picture of me in college calling girls for dates. Um, I don't know who, who, who took that picture. But uh, when I had to call girls for dates in college, it was a very nerve-wracking thing. I don't know if you guys remember that experience. Because um, I didn't know what I was doing. And it, it felt very awkward. Because I knew the girl could slam the phone down and say, get lost, loser. I want nothing to do with you. So I didn't really know what I was doing. I always, I always remember being very nervous if I wanted to ask a girl on a date and, and made that phone call. We didn't have Instagram back in the day or text messages. We couldn't take the gutless way out. You know, we had had to pick up the phone call, trembling in her hand, and make that phone call. And I never knew if I should make small talk with the girl first. Like, hey, how'd your, how'd your day go? How was, how was history class? What, what, what'd you eat for lunch today? Oh, yeah, you had a, you had a sausage patty? How was it? Or, or if I should just get right into why I called, saying, listen, there's a banquet coming up. You know that. Do you want to go with me? Okay, you do? See you then. And uh, I, I, I usually flip-flop between strategies, but I always remember it would be a very nerve-wracking experience. Oftentimes that went pretty well, even though I know my voice was probably cracking on the other side. Sometimes we have to make calls. Sometimes a call comes to us. Isn't that true? Sometimes we have a decision before us that we have to make. Now, it could be peer pressure, and it's a decision we have to say yes or no to. It could be there's Uncle Sam recruiting us to the Army saying he wants us to enlist. We could have Mr. Bean telling us, hey, don't, don't knock it till you try it. But whatever happens, if someone brings a decision to your door, you have a decision to make, to say yes or no. If someone calls you on the phone and says, hey, it's time for your car warranty to be extended, 
You could say, oh yeah, I think I should do that. Or you could say, hey, listen, that's spam. I'm going to block you and never answer you again, which is the better idea. But sometimes we have to answer a call. Sometimes we have to make a call. Well, I was able to find a little screenshot of the time that I had to answer a call from God to come up to the North Country. In fact, my whole family did. You guys remember this um, 15, 16 months ago that we had to make... We had to answer a call that God gave to us. Now, most of you have heard this at least before once, but I'll, I'll remind you of it, that New England had been on our hearts for about a decade before we answered the call to Littleton. We had been thinking and praying about the opportunity to go to New England one day, if God would allow us to do it. So that was 10 years before we actually got connected to um, Crossroads Church here in Littleton. So when God made that call to us and said, I have a church prepared for you, and I want you to come we had a decision to make, to say yes to that call or say no to that call. And I remember just being full of joy saying, it, it's going to happen. God's going to make that call available and real to us. And we were so excited to be able to say yes to New England, that long 10-year desire of ours, and to match, match our hearts with a church much like this, that we still find so much joy and so much satisfaction that God linked our hearts to you guys today because we answered that call that God gave us. Well, every single Christian has a call. We've talked about this before. And Paul's going to remind us of the call. So he says, I press on, even though I'm not there, even though I haven't obtained it, even though I'm not perfect yet, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, and he says, I press on toward the goal. I press on toward the goal. Well, it can't, again, be salvation, Paul was already saved by this moment. Paul is talking about a different goal. Now, I asked this before if a lot of you are football fans. It's now football playoff season. If you're a football fan, this is like the greatest time to be alive. And I, I talked to Janine the other day. I said, why, why do they call it football? Why do they call football football? They barely kick. And she said, well, what should they call it? And I said, they should call it goal ball. Because... That's what you're doing in football. You're trying to get to the goal, right? You're trying to score a goal, kick a field goal. It should be called goal ball. I think they should change it. But I was able to find this picture. I think this is the late 90s. Maybe you guys remember the Super Bowl where the Rams and the Titans are playing each other, and it came down to one yard, one measly yard. And there's the guy reaching for the goal, and he comes one yard short of tying the game and going into overtime and possibly winning the Super Bowl. But you could tell what straining towards the goal looks like in that picture, right? I think that's a beautiful picture for straining forward to the goal. The goal of a touchdown, the goal of winning the Super Bowl. But you and I have a much grander goal, don't we? Paul says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I want you to pay attention to that word. Upward higher, up, greater than you are now. There is a prize and a goal set before every single one of us, and it is the call of God in Christ Jesus for every single Christian who ever lived. And we've talked about what that goal is. It is to become just like our Lord Jesus Christ in thought, speech, and action. And God has given us that call. Every single one of us to not only be saved, to not only inherit eternal life, but to become something we're not yet. And he calls it, Paul calls it, the prize. He doesn't call it a chore. 
He could say that. I press on toward the goal for the chore of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't want to do it, but God's making me do it, so let's keep going. No, he calls it a prize. Paul's perspective was right on the money. He looked up that mountain and he says, i got to get up. Because there's a prize up there. And that prize is becoming like my Lord and pleasing my Lord. And it is the greatest thing of all time. And I'm going to press on towards that prize. And for those who have climbed Mount Everest, I don't think anybody here has. Am I wrong? Okay, just making sure. That has to be a prize. That's got to be quite the amount of glory to reach the top, the summit of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet in the air. But in order for that to happen, someone has to traverse and climb a very dangerous, costly route, don't they? To get to the top where they can take a selfie and they can glory in the fact that they've reached Mount Everest, they have to give a lot in order for that to happen. But again, ours is not Mount Everest. Ours is something much more profound. Christ-likeness. Can you imagine that? I want you to imagine that just for a moment. Can you imagine us not only <coughs> being saved, not only beginning entrance into the kingdom of God, but for us to look like Jesus on the last day. For us to think like Jesus. For us to act in this world like Jesus Christ. Paul did it. He didn't do it perfectly. But Paul traversed up this mountain, made progress up this mountain, so that all of a sudden his thoughts, his speech, his actions were more like Jesus than they were like Paul. Because every single day and week and year of his life, he kept moving up that mountain. And more sinful patterns kept shaking off and more godly patterns were put on. As Paul finally reached the summit of that at the end of his life. And here's the call in Romans 8.28. Paul again writing, he says, we know all things work together for, for good. It's a phrase we use a lot. That's a verse we quote a lot. All things work together for good for those who love God. I believe most people here love God. Therefore, I think everything in your life is going to work out towards good because it's a promise from God. To those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Everyone who has that call is given the promise of God that it's going to work out for good. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? That every single motion in this climb, everything, whether it looks hard or good, whether it's painful or pleasing, is working out for my good and my benefit. But I have to believe it because God promises it. And he promises it according to the call, according to the purpose that he's given us. Let's read another passage referring to the call in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. Paul again writing, he says, But we ought also to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God, notice it, chose you as the first fruits to be saved. And there's our big word, through sanctification, Christ-likeness, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel that so that you may obtain the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Not only to be saved. That's a lot. That's a lot of gift. That's a lot of blessing, God. But not only to be saved, but to be made like Jesus. That is the call of every single Christian. I've saved you so that I can make you 
into what you've always were designed to be, holy and righteous and perfect in the eyes of God. Sanctification. And it's going to take the rest of our lives to climb this mountain. But we saw this word purpose come up. And we have to ask this question today. What is your purpose? What gets you up out of bed every morning? What motivates you to keep doing what you're doing? Do you have one? I think the whole world struggles with this question, don't they? I think every single person in this world needs a very strong purpose in order to function the way that they need to. And if they don't have that purpose, they will flounder. They will struggle, and they might be even darker than that. They might question, what is my reason for continuing in this life if I don't have a purpose? But I want to say this today. If our purpose is only earthly, we have no purpose. If our purpose that we're living for today can fade one day, can leave one day, can pass away one day, then we really don't have a purpose. We need a purpose that goes beyond this world. We need a purpose that comes from God himself, our maker and our creator. And thankfully, he's given us the purpose of purposes, serving the king of kings. Do you believe that's the greatest purpose of all time? Do you know that's why I do what I do? I wanted the greatest purpose that I could ever find in this world. Once I got my eyes on Jesus Christ, I didn't want to just do something small. I wanted to do something big and costly and full of purpose. And God says, oh, Todd, I got a whopper for you then. I'm going to make you a servant of the king of kings. You won't be the most glorified servant. You won't be the most talented servant. But you will be a servant of the king of kings. And I said to the Lord, that is my privilege. To have that purpose of all purposes is to serve my Jesus, my creator, my God, my savior. Is that the purpose that you want to? Because I think there's a lot of great purposes in this world. I think there's firefighters. They have a good purpose. I think nurses and doctors have a good purpose. I think anyone that helps children has a good purpose. I think there's so many good purposes in this world, but I think one advances above them all. Anyone who serves Jesus. No matter to what length and what degree and what earthly glory, anyone who serves Jesus Christ has the greatest purpose of all. So Paul says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. Because you might not. You might not. I didn't. For a long period of my life, I did not think that serving Jesus was the greatest purpose of all. I thought it was a chore. I thought it was something that I had to do, that I didn't really want to do, but God was going to make me do it. And then one day the light bulb went on and I said, oh man, that's a prize. That's a purpose. That's exactly what my soul has been looking for. So Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, notice what God will do. He will reveal it to you one day. If he loves you, he will reveal to you the same thing he revealed to me. Todd, there is no greater purpose than serving the king. I brought up a few weeks ago, I brought up this story from King David's life where he had these, these mighty men, these three mighty men, who basically did any bidding that King David wanted him to do. And these three mighty men one day heard that, that uh, King David was thirsty because he said it out loud. Oh, I wish I could have water from the gate in the Bethlehem, or gate near Bethlehem behind the Philistine camp. Oh, that's really good water. If I could just have a little bit of that water. And these guys heard that command. That wasn't even a command. He heard David say it out loud, and they broke through the Philistine camp, got the water, brought it back to David, and said, here you go, King David. Here's the water you wanted. And David pours it out. 
And it's like, David, why? I mean, these guys did everything they possibly could to make you happy and give you the water that you wanted. David said, yeah, but I'm not worthy of it. I didn't ask him to do it. I was just speaking out loud. And I'm certainly not worthy of that kind of sacrifice because I'm not the king of kings. But imagine what delight it was for those three men to serve King David. Just a fraction of what he desired. And then for David to say, listen, guys, I'm not the king of kings. There is someone who did ask for it, and there is someone who is worthy of it. And his name is Jesus Christ. Do we believe it? Do we believe that even bringing a cup of water to Jesus would be worthy of everything we could give in this life? To simply see Jesus satisfied on the last day. To see our Jesus smile. To see our Jesus pleased with our life and our actions and our thoughts. I can't think of anything greater to live for, guys. That's why I do what I do. There's nothing greater that I could give my time and energy to. And I want to say that to you in 2024. Don't get distracted with the world. Set your eyes upon the king. Paul says, if you are mature, you will think this way. And if you aren't yet mature, God's going to get you there. He's going to reveal that also to you so that one day the light bulb goes on and you say, it's always been Jesus. He is worthy of my every heartbeat. Worthy is the Lamb. Paul says, I, I strive to make it my own because one day Jesus made me his own. We celebrated that at communion today. I think God perfectly places these things upon us so that we can remember and reflect that one day we were not God's people. We were not saved. We were not forgiven. We were not redeemed. We were not given eternal life. And then one day we were. And everything for us changed. And that is the day we realize that worthy is the Lamb. If Jesus did it for us, he deserves it far more than we do. Let's give that love back to him. A unique strategy, a profound call. Quickly, we'll end on a humble reminder. Keep clicking the wrong thing. I'm sorry about that. A humble reminder. Now, who works out? Don't have to answer out loud, but do you work out regularly to somewhat? I work out semi-regularly. My screen's doing something weird there. Let's make it. Okay. I work out semi-regularly, and when I work out, I feel huge. <laughs> when I work out, I feel like the strongest man alive. I can stop anybody. I can beat up anybody. No one should mess with me. I feel gargantuan. Because my muscles are screaming at me, and they're reminding me that I am not that big and not that strong, but I feel strong after I work out, and it's not honest, is it? Because <laughs> I'm not actually that in shape, that strong. In fact, sometimes depending on the mirror that you look at, you can get a totally different result. Um, I'll feel strong, I'll feel quite in shape, and then I'll go look in the mirror and go, hmm, it's not really what I expected. Or I'll step on the scale, and it's like, well, I thought I shaved eight pounds. I, I gained two? Okay, okay. <laughs> Things aren't quite going as well as they seemed. And Paul says, in this passage, listen, let us, let us hold true to what we have attained. We don't have to lie today. Lying's not good for us. Flattery is not good for us. Did you know that? Flattery is not good for the Christian. For us to say today, boy, I'm really up that mountain. I'm, I'm, I'm close. I'm like right there. It, just a little bit more and I'll be there. I'm really close to the top of sanctification. But it's also not good for us to beat ourselves down and say, oh, I'm wicked. I'm horrible. I do nothing right. Paul says, let us hold true to what we have attained. Let us be honest about where we are in the journey. The other day, Janine and I went out for a date, and we don't get a lot of those. We went out for a date without the kids, 
and we sat down and what do we talk about? The kids usually. <clears throat> but I said, let's not talk about the kids just for a second. Let's just sort of grade ourselves. And so let's just talk about how we're doing. How are we doing as parents? How are we doing as husband and wife? How are we doing as individuals following Jesus Christ? It was such a profound conversation for us to really just be honest with each other. To say, you know what, we're doing some good and we're doing some not so good. And I sort of asked my wife to grade me, which is always a really scary thing to do. I don't, I don't advise it. Um, but no one knows me better than Janine. She gave me a very honest score, by the way. and won't tell you what that score is. But Paul says, let us hold true to what we have attained. And the more I grow in Christianity, the more I realize how important it is to be humble. There's a lot of pride out there in this world. And pride seems like that's a, that's, that's a call of victory. Like when someone's prideful, it's like, man, you're strong, you're capable, you're confident. But then you look at Jesus Christ and he was meek and humble. And the greatest men that I ever look up to all were meek and humble. Did you know that? The men that I strive to be like and aspire to be like and the men that I follow after in this church were meek and humble people. And the more I grow up in Christianity, the more I realize what a gift and a tool humility is. Before we close today, I want to read you a, a parable from Luke chapter 18. Now, I don't know if this actually happened or if Jesus is just using a parable <coughs> to share with us something <coughs> of a metaphor for the Christian life. But he says in Luke 18, chapter 9, excuse me, Luke 18, verse 9, he says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, notice it, that they were righteous. And they treated others with contempt. Now that's the background. They, th they themselves think very highly of themselves and they think very low of other people. So this is the basis for the parable. Jesus says, verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Okay, so these guys are on polar opposite sides of the spectrum. One is a Pharisee, a learned man, a religious zealot, a guy who knows the law, who probably is very religious, and another a tax collector, who was known for frauding people out of their money. So these, both these men go to the temple to pray. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, feeling quite good about himself, patting himself on the back, saying, God, boy, you got a gem in me. I am really doing well. I just want you to know that, God. Um, you've really been blessed by having me. And unlike this tax collector, things are going really well for me. And I don't even know what I'm saying. I just want you to know that. I just want you to be reminded of how well I'm doing. And then we have the tax collector, verse 13. The tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I am not. God, I am not what I should be. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need you to help me, God. What happens with these two men? In verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You can humble yourself and God will exalt you. Or you could exalt yourself and God will humble you. Which would you rather? <laughs> My kids love the game, would you rather? There's a good would you rather. Would you rather exalt yourself and have God humble you or humble yourself and have God exalt you? I think it's pretty obvious, right? James 4 says the same thing. God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Do you think you need God's grace? Let's use our little picture here. You think you need God's grace to get to the top of that? You think you could get there on your own? Have you tried getting there on your own? How does that usually go? Not very well. But if you give me God's grace, I have every confidence that every single one of us will reach the top of that mountain. And therefore, what should we do? Humble ourselves. Be very honest about where we are in this Christian journey. Don't beat ourselves down. That's not the goal either. Okay? He says, let us hold true to what we have attained. Be very honest and open to God and say, God, I know there's some things I'm probably doing well, but God, there's also a whole bunch of things I need to do better at. And God will give you his grace. And what's the point of our lesson today as we close? Number one is to use that unique strategy and forget what lies behind. Because the goal is forward progress and endurance. And dwelling upon the things in the past are not going to help us endure forward. They're just not. So instead of forgetting, excuse me, instead of remembering all that's in the past, let us strain forward to what lies ahead. That's a much better strategy. Number two is remember the great call that we have been given to use this life entirely for the Lamb of God. Now, I know that's what you expect a pastor to say, to say, guys, every single breath, every single decision of your 2024 year should be used for the Lamb of God. But I want you to think about that today. Is he worthy of that? Is that a prize? Is that the delight of your soul to live your life entirely for the Lamb of God? I didn't used to think that in a way, and now that I do, I want to live 2024 for Jesus. I think he's worthy of it. And I think he's worthy of his church living for him as well. And number three, let's stay true to where we are in this race so that God will grant us the grace we need to complete the climb because it's a promise that if we humble ourselves, he will exalt us. It's also a promise that if we stay true to this call, every single one of us will reach the top of that mountain. Do you believe that? If God wants us up that mountain and we belong to God, will any of us fall short? The answer is no. Not one of us. The only way we fall short is if we get haughty, if we dwell upon the past, and if we neglect the great call that God has given us. So my encouragement to us today is to remember this. This is our bottom, our bottom line today. He is worthy. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to reflect upon that this new year. Is Jesus worthy? Because everything will fall into line if you say yes. If you say yes and you really believe that Jesus is worthy, I don't have to be that pastorly. It's going to make my job easier. So please do that. Um, I want you to think about this this new year, that he, Jesus, is worthy of that. Because if he does, this church is going to take off like a rocket. If then we have that one bottom line that we all share. And I already believe this church believes that. I really do. I think this church already says he is worthy and we will give him everything that he deserves. So it's 2024. We've been inspired to go onward, to go forward, to forget what lies behind, to remember the great call that we've received and to find the grace of God that enables us to make that climb all for the glory of our great God and all for the benefit of our eternal soul. Would you continue to climb with me this new year? Let's bow and pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, Father, that you have continued the work you've started in our souls many years ago and that you promised us that you will continue to make it happen going forward. Father, we are weak people. 
We are not where we should be, Father, myself included. I am not the completed picture that I desire to be. But Father, I also know that you are patient and long-suffering and that you desire to give us everything we need to make that climb, Father, so that you could be glorified, so that we can be benefited for the rest of eternity. Father, make us like Jesus. Make this church like Jesus. Make this church sing his praises, reflect his glory, share his gospel. Make everything we do about Jesus Christ so that 2024 would shine even brighter than 2023. Not for our glory, Father, but for your great name's sake. We love you and we thank you for that work inside of our souls. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.